see. Listen, on Wednesday night, uh, I, I started talking again uh, about this idea of moving from a place of self-reliance to a place of God dependent. And I thought uh, I was going to teach this morning on a different subject, but uh, as I was preparing this week uh, and just studying and doing some more reading, uh, the Lord said, no, you're not done with that yet. <laughs> you're, you're not done talking to the people about how they really need to be dependent on me. Uh, he said, in, in fact, I got a word for you for next year uh, about what that means. And again, I'll, I'll share that next week. So you really want to be here. Uh, but we're going to kind of move along in that same uh, vein on today. Right. And so I'm going to be talking to you this morning from the subject of maturing through pressure, maturing through pressure, the pathway to total dependence on God. Now, that may sound like a, a mouthful for a title, but I want you to focus on the first part of that, maturing, okay, growing up um, through pressure, okay? Pressure is something that sometimes I believe believers like to run from, but when you understand the purpose of pressure, uh, you, you embrace it rather than running away from it. I believe in all of my heart that in our walk with God, one of the most profound lessons, literally, that we can learn is the art of complete dependence on God. Total, 100% complete dependence on God. Now, it's funny because this, this to, at first I said today may not be one of those sexy messages, but actually, actually, this is really a sexy message. <laughs> if you start to think about that, you have a heavenly father who is literally asking all of his children to put all of their needs and all of their wants and desires in his hand so that he, the perfect God, the perfect father, can give them to his children. It really is probably one of the most sexiest messages that you could ever hear. Now, that doesn't just happen automatically, right? You have a part to play and I have a part to play. But when we understand our roles and how to have this dependence on God rather than this self-reliant on ourselves, it really frees us to become all that we want to be. It really, really does. And so on Wednesday night, I used a foundational scripture that I'm going to use today. It won't be our foundational scripture today, but I'm going to use it because I want to reset uh, the stage for what we talked about a little bit on Wednesday, this idea of moving from self-reliance to God dependence. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 3 verse five and six. And it's one that I know that you know, and I know you know it well. In the King James, it says, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding, but in all of thy ways, acknowledge God and he shall direct thy path. In other words, he says, trust, put our whole reliance, our whole uh, being in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says everything that we have, mind, soul, and body, we are to direct that toward the absolute uh, confidence and trust in the Lord and not into our own understanding. In other words, he says, be God dependent 
and not self-reliant. He says, and then in everything you do, in all your ways, always acknowledge him. It doesn't just mean to say that God exists. It says, not only does he exist, but I ask him for direction. In all of my ways, I'm acknowledging him. It says that when I do that, he shall direct my path. Now, I love this out of the message translation. In the message translation, it says it like this. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Now, you can't get any more plain than that. <laughs> he says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. And please, whatever you do, don't try to figure out everything on your own. Now, I love the way it says that because it doesn't say there, there aren't some things we're supposed to figure out. There are some things we figure out as we're talking to the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will give you choices. And in those choices, then you get to decide based on information and wisdom, what is the best choice? You know, it would be great if the Lord told us everything we were supposed to do at every moment. But what God wants to do is just like a parent. God wants to give us information. And as we mature, as we matriculate uh, and as we maturate, he wants us to be able to begin to make those decisions, not absent from him, but along with him. He says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Do not try to figure out everything on your own. It says, listen, and I love this, for God's voice in what? Everything. Listen for God's voice in everything. Well, God, is it time for me to buy a house? Listen to God's voice. God, should I sell my house? Listen to God's voice. God, is it time to get a new car? Listen for God's voice. God, should we go on vacation this month? Listen for God's voice. God, what grocery store should I go to? Listen to God's voice in what? Everything. Now, when he says everything, he doesn't mean most things. <laughs> he doesn't just mean the hard things. It literally is a teaching that says, hey, we are moving from being self-reliant to being God-dependent. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to do it by learning to listen for God's voice in everything that we do. If you believe that, if, if, if you believe that that is a positive tool, go ahead and say amen in the comment section. Just say amen. Because it's a powerful thing to learn to hear God's voice, not just to hear it, but to hear God's voice in everything that you do. He said, and then hear it everywhere you go. So I'm not just supposed to hear God on Sunday morning. I'm supposed to hear God Monday through Sunday, Monday through Sunday on my job, at, while I'm at the sports arena, while I'm at the grocery store, when I'm interacting with people in my neighborhood, everywhere I go and in everything I do, I ought to be hearing God's voice. It says, why should I be doing that? Because he's the one, God is the one who will keep you on track. And how many of you know that in life, we all have goals, we all have dreams, we all have aspirations. And in doing so, we have a destination to get to. Praise God. And in order to get to that destination, we have to be on track. And it says that when we learn to listen for God's voice in everything we do and in everywhere we go, God is the one who comes along alongside of us and he keeps us on track. Some of you know, uh, I, I bowl on Thursday nights. Well, this Thursday night, we were bowling on a particular side of the bowling alley where all the people who bowl on league bowl from like lane 21 down to like 40 something. Well, the other lanes from like one to like 
15 or 16, that's what they call open bowling, just people who want to go bowling. And I noticed when I was bowling on Thursday, there was a young lady. Uh, she may have been seven or eight years old with her family. And every time she got ready to bowl, they would push the button and the bumpers would come up uh, so that when she threw the ball down the lane, it did not go in the gutter. And I thought to myself, that's what God does for us in life. That is literally what God does for us in life. We're going down the lane of life. And because we, we wobble and turn and we don't always know which direction to go, God, if we will listen for his voice, will put bumpers so that you and I don't end up in the gutter. Somebody ought to give God some praise. But when you don't listen for his voice, when you don't listen for his voice in everything you do and you don't listen for his voice everywhere you go, if you're not careful, just like there is oil on the bowling lanes, there can be slick spots in your life. The enemy wants to put slick spots in your life so that as you're going down that track, you can slide in the gutter. You can make mistakes. But praise God for Jesus Christ being bumpers for our life. If you know that Jesus has been a bumper for your life, go ahead and put a two in the comments. Go ahead and just put a two in the comment and give God some praise. If we was at church, I'd have you give God 13 seconds of praise because he has literally saved me from the gutter time. There have been, In fact, there are times I went in the gutter because I didn't have a bumpers up, but God reached into the gutter and put me back on track. Somebody ought to be giving God some praise. Amen. Listen, in our journey of faith, we often encounter various forms of pressure and even emotional challenges. And I fully believe that this journey is not just about our need for a mere acknowledgement of God's presence to deliver us. Will God deliver us? Absolutely. He will deliver us. Just like the children of Israel, he delivered them out of trouble. They went back and did their own thing, became self-reliant and got in trouble again. They cried out to God and what did God do? He delivered them again. But I decree that life should be far better for you and I than to live a life of always having to be rescued. We can live a life of being on track, right? We can live a life of being on track. God will deliver us from these pressures, but it's actually more about us learning to entrust every aspect of our lives to his divine care and wisdom in the midst of those pressures and those emotional challenges. When you learn to become God dependent, it doesn't mean that life will be absent from any kind of pressure. It doesn't mean that life will be absent from emotional challenges. It doesn't mean that life will be absent of financial challenges or health challenges or relational challenges. What it means though, is that you have a God that you can depend on. You have a God who can rescue you. You have a God who will be a bumper for you. You have a God who will be a rear guard for you. You'll be a, you have a God who will be a, a forward thinking God on your behalf, one who will lead you, one who will step in the path that you need to go so that if you put your footsteps where he has been, you will never miss a step. That is the kind of God that we serve. And so when we start to think about that, we have to start to think about what does the scripture say? What does scripture say about who God is and, 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 and how God will rescue us? Because I'm convinced that most people don't depend on God because they're not 100% sure that God will come through for them. And that is the reason it's so important to read your word because the word of God is littered 
with promises from God about how if we will partner with him, he will take care of us. He will take care of us. So let's take a look at this next scripture. It's in Psalms chapter 46, verse one. It says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever present help in times of trouble. God is ever present. You have to notice, you have to know that no matter what kind of pressure you're going through, you're not alone. In fact, go ahead and say that in the comment section. Say, I'm never alone. If you are a born again believer, you are never alone. I don't care how life lives. I don't care what kind of pressure it brings. I don't care what kind of pitfalls it sets up for you. I don't care how life sucker punches you. I am here to tell you this morning that if you are a born again believer, you can say with boldness, I am never alone. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Right now, today, whatever I'm going through, I'm not alone. I may feel alone, but I'm not alone. My feelings are fickle. My feelings tell me I'm alone, but I know that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent of anything, that if he said it, I can believe it. And his word tells me that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss or diminish the things you, you may be actually going through. No doubt life can be challenging, but while daunting and challenging, what life throws at us is crucial for our spiritual growth and maturity. Now, hear me when I say this, because people always seem to get this confused. God is not out there looking for pressure or looking for challenges or looking for trouble to put on you, okay? That is not what is happening. You need to understand that you live in a world, a world that is full of sin. You, we, we live in a fallen world. We're not fallen but if we're born again, but we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, the, this world has a prince that is over it for right now until, the, until Jesus comes back and takes total control of this earth. And as a result, there is mayhem, there is chaos, there is trouble in this world. And because we live in the world, we experience from time to time some of those troubles. Now, as a born again believer, we learn to use the word to buffer against some of those troubles. There are some things that don't come nigh us, but we live in this world. And for me to tell you that you're never going to have pressure that you're never going to have trouble, that you're never going to have something that's going to, to, to possibly want to cause you distress, I would be lying to you. Jesus himself said in this world, we're going to have troubles. But here's what you need to understand. The trouble that I experience is different than the trouble an unbeliever experiences. The trouble that an unbeliever experiences is designed to crush them. The trouble that I experience may originally be designed to crush me. But because of who's on the inside of me, all it does is causes me to mature. Trouble causes me to mature. Somebody type that in the comment section. Trouble, pressure, stress, whatever word you want to use, causes me to mature if I will stop being self-reliant and start being God-dependent. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 41 and 10, it says, do not fear 
Do not fear. Now, I love this. Anytime you see this in the word of God, when it says do not fear, that means there's opportunity to fear. There's opportunity to, 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 to allow false evidence that appears real to become the predominant thing in your life. But Isaiah tells us, do not fear. Why? For the Lord God is with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't be shook. Don't be stressed. Don't, don't be put out. He says, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. God will strengthen you. See, God will give you a strength that you yourself can't get on your own. That's why you don't want to be self-reliant. You want to be God dependent. He said, I will strengthen you and I will help you. That means God will, will, will lift you up simultaneously while he's taking you toward the next progression. It says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God wants to be good to you. He says, you're living in this fallen world and all of these negative things are happening all around you. He said, but don't forget my word when I said that they may come at you one way, but they're going to flee seven ways. He says, don't, don't even think that a thousand may come against you, but 10,000 going to flee. He says, don't forget that I am the one. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will uphold you. Why? Because you have no reason to fear when your dependency is on me. I was walking and I was thinking about this message and some different things. And I wrote in my, my note up here, uh, I wrote down uh, the, one of the things that the Lord said to me is he's asked me the question. He says, have I ever let you down? He says, have I ever let you down? And I got to thinking about it. And I, I, tried to, I tried to think of a time that God had let me down. And I cannot think of a time that God has let me down. Have I ever been disappointed? Yes. But when I look back over it and I, and, I, and, I, and I get out of my emotions and I really think about it, did God let me down? No, God has never let me down. There are some things I didn't do. There are some things I didn't get right. There are some times my faith wasn't what I thought it was. But I have never come to God 100 percent and put what God, put on God what I needed, what I wanted, what he said. And God did not come through. God has never let me down. And I challenge you that if you say, well, pastor, he's let me down. I challenge you to get out of your emotion for a moment and to actually think about whether or not it was God or whether it was you. Here's what I'll tell you. He's perfect. You're not. <laughs> I, that's what I'll tell you. God is perfect and you aren't. If someone failed, I can guarantee you it wasn't God. God has never let me down. And so this morning, I want us to continue our theme of moving from self-dependent to becoming totally God-reliant. That's what I want us to do this morning, all right? So as I said, we're going to be talking about maturing through pressure, okay? The pressure that you're experiencing right now is not going to crush you. I want you, as your man of God, as your apostle, as your pastor, I need you to hear me say that. The pressure that you're experiencing, the uncertainty that you're going through, I am telling you, it's not going to crush you. It is not going to crush you. The enemy wants, to, wants you to think it's going to crush you. He wants you to think it's going to get the best of you. But I am telling you that when you become God dependent, there is nothing that can crush you. Why? Because there's nothing that can crush God.
And whatever God has, has put in your life for you, it's going to be for you. You're going to receive it. The pressure is not going to crush you. I love that some of you guys are making that personal. The pressure won't crush me. That's right. The pressure will not crush me. Now, when we started this thing about being God-dependent and self-reliant, it changed how I started looking at Scripture. And that always happens. If you study your word and God begins to talk to you about a particular theme, you start to see that theme everywhere. That's how we know the word of God is alive. That's how we know that it is, it is sharper than any two-edged sword and, uh, and, and that it's, it's used to, to build us up. And so I want us to take a look at a scripture that may not be as familiar uh, to, to all of us as something like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But it is profound, and it is profound when you begin to study it out, especially when you break out your concordance and you start to look at uh, your, your, uh, your, what those, especially in Strong's, you start to look at what these words actually mean. And so I'm going to take a moment, slow myself down, and I want us to take a look at Titus 2, 11 through 12. We're going to read it out of the ESV at first, and then I want to read it out of the Amplify, and I'm going to highlight a particular word uh, in here, and I'm going to highlight a thing for you. And when I highlight this thing for you, I believe it's going to be revelation for you to see what it is that we've been talking about and how Pastor Sean and I are not just making up this idea that it's good to be God-dependent. So let's look at this. In verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared. Praise God for that. Praise God for grace. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, what this means is, is that there is a grace, and we know this grace is the grace that was given as Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, so that we can uh, receive salvation and no longer be condemned by the sin uh, that was birthed into this uh, world by the disobedience of Adam and Eve, okay? What Adam came and, and, and undid, Jesus came and, and, and did over. So that, that is the grace. For the grace of God, Jesus Christ is the grace of God for us. It has appeared and it brings salvation to all people, okay? But now look at what verse 12 says. It says, training us. Now, if you had a Bible, I and if you were old school, and, 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 and like, I, like my pastor used to do, he used to make us underline or highlight certain words. I'd make you underline or highlight that, training us, okay? God's grace comes into our life, not just for the purpose of us being able to go to heaven when we die. There's, a, there's another purpose to that grace. What is the purpose of that grace? It is to train us to do what? Now watch this, to renounce or to put down ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, if we were in a small group and I were to ask the question, what is ungodliness? What is worldly passions? Because of what the church has taught us, we would automatically go to behaviors. We would say ungodliness is premarital sex. Ungodliness is cheating on your taxes. Worldly passions is wanting to sleep with someone who's not your spouse or not your uh, your person that you're married to, right? Uh, or, or, or that a worldly passion is gluttony. Uh, uh, we, we could think of, we could, I mean, we had a whiteboard, we could just list stuff for days, for days and days and days. And while that's not uh, untrue, 
it's not totally accurate when you begin to look at what these words mean. Okay. Now that's important because we're talking about what this grace does. It says train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Okay. Then it says, and is to train us to what? Live how? Self-controlled, upright. Now watch this. Here's a word I'd have you to underline. Godly lives in this present age. But godly lives, if I was to ask you in a small group, what does it mean to live godly? More than likely, you would do the same thing you did with ungodly and worldly passions. You will begin to talk to me about behaviors. But for the sake of time, let me tell you what this word godly actually means here in Titus 2, 11 and 12. The word godly, if you underline that and you go back and you study it out later on, what you're going to find is that that word actually translates to dependence. Now, think about this. He says, can we go back to verse 11? I want to read verse 11 and verse 12 with this new understanding. It says, for the grace of God, Jesus Christ, has appeared. And with Jesus Christ, he comes bringing salvation for all people. Okay, next verse. He says, train us. So, so Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he sent back as the comforter when he left, comes and trains us to renounce ungodliness or worldly passions, which can be translated self-reliance. So the Holy Spirit comes to train us to denounce self-reliance and to live a self-controlled, upright life and a godly life or a dependent life on God in this present age. This is why I love when God shows you something you hadn't seen before, because literally what he is saying is this, is that when you understand that the purpose of Christ coming into the earth was to destroy the works of the enemy, it wasn't just about getting you to heaven. It's so much more than just about getting you to heaven. Jesus came and died on the cross. And when he finished that work, he says, now I'm going back to the father. He said, but I am not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you helpless. I am going to send the paraclete or I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back on my behalf so that when I was with you one at a time, Holy Spirit is going to be able to be with all of you. And when he comes, he's going to train you. And what he's going to train you to do is to renounce self-reliant living. And what he's going to do is train you how to live dependent on him so that you can be able to control all of those ungodly fleshly things that still exist in your natural body. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. Now, let's look at it in the Amplified because I like the Amplified because it includes a few extra words. Let me calm myself down because I get excited when I start to read the word and I start to see things I hadn't seen before. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, God, this has been here the whole time. This is what you've been wanting for us. This is what Jesus has been wanting for us. So in the Amplified version, it says this. It says, for the remarkable, undeserved, 
grace of God. How many of you know Jesus is undeserved and we didn't deserve Jesus? How many of you know that it is remarkable that he came and died so that everybody in the entire world, regardless of your race, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your age, regardless of anything, he came, as John 3.16 says, so that whosoever believeth on him may not perish but have everlasting life. He says, for the remarkable, undeserved grace of God. It says, uh, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12, it teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires. That's that self-reliant living. Even if you desire something that may not be sinful, if the way you go after it is not based on a word from God, then it is, it is, it is wrong because it's self-reliant. Well, pastor, how can you say that? Because we say that everything we receive should be received by faith. But faith doesn't begin until you know what? The will of God. If you don't know the will of God and you're going after something, you're going after it outside of faith. And the Bible says everything done out of faith is sin. And that is the reason that we can't just call uh, stuff we deem bad as sin. If you ever went after something and God didn't tell you to go after it, you just wanted it. You went and got it. Even if it wasn't a bad, quote unquote, bad thing, if you went and got it outside of faith, it was sin. And so he says it teaches us to reject all self-reliance and to live sensibly upright and dependent or godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflect, watch this, spiritual maturity. What is spiritual maturity? A life dependent on God. It ain't about how many scriptures you know. It ain't about how much service you serve in church. It's not about what you give. It's not about how long you fast. Spiritual maturity is about your ability to be dependent on your father. See, the world gets it backwards. We say maturity is not depending on somebody. We, we, we deem independence as maturity. But in the kingdom, independence is about being dependent on your father. Now, two things in Titus 2 and 11. Number one, it reminds us that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. In other words, it teaches us not to rely on our own independence or our own self-reliance, but to be dependent or to live a God-dependent life. The second thing it does is it teaches us that in the midst of pressure and emotional turmoil, God's grace empowers us to remain steadfast and mature in the faith. That's the great thing I love about Titus 2, 11 and 12. It doesn't act like pressure's not going to come. It doesn't act like pressure doesn't exist. Pressure's going to come. You are going to have troubles. But this tells me that Jesus came to teach me to be able to renounce all of that ungodliness. He, he teaches me simultaneously how to renounce ungodliness, self-reliant uh, living, and how to embrace a self-controlled kind of life and a God-dependent living. 
So pressure is going to come, but I'm not going to succumb to the pressure. In fact, somebody ought to say that. Say pressure is going to come, but I won't succumb to the pressure. Pressure is going to come, but I am not going to succumb to the pressure. I'm just not. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to cave in. And I'm not going to quit. Why? Because God has already told me, he's already told me that I am going to see it through. And so as a result, I put my faith in him. And therefore, when I put my faith in him, it allows me to mature. What does it mean to mature? It means I become more dependent on him. That's how that's why pressure is a good thing for the believer. That's why troubles that come in our life, we should, the Bible says we should count them all joy. I talked about that on Wednesday. How do you count joy when things are happening that's not what you planned? It shows me that I can depend on God. It puts me in the position to deepen my dependence. Now, the Bible has so many verses that encourages believers to be God-dependent rather than relying solely on themselves and consistently operating in self-dependence. You should go through it. You should study. But I'm, I'm going to share some quickly with you this morning. And then I'm going to talk about maturing through pressure and we're going to get out of here. All right. Let's take a look at some of these scriptures. Psalms 55 and 22. It says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. This verse encourages believers to hand over their worries and burdens to God trusting in his support. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. First Peter 5 and 7 is along that same vein. It says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he is the one who cares for you. So if you've got anxiety and worry and pressure and stuff going on that's weighing you down and you can't hardly even pay attention to the broadcast and to the word because you're thinking about all the stuff that's going on, the Bible says, cast that stuff onto him. Because he cares for you. And when you cast it onto him, don't go back and pick it up again. First Peter 5 and 7 reassures the believers that God is attentive to our worries and he is always willing to take on our burdens. In fact, he says, give me, give, give me your, your tears so I can give you joy. Psalms 121, 1 and 2, it tells us to lift up our eyes to the mountains from which cometh our help. It says our help comes from the Lord, the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. He says, listen, when, when, when pressure and all that stuff comes, don't put your head down. Don't start worrying. He says, lift up your eyes to the mountains where your help comes from. In other words, he says, literally, look up and see the glory of the Lord. He says, your help comes from God himself, the one who made heaven and earth. If he made heaven and he made earth, any pressures you're having, he has your solution. In fact, he had your solution before you knew you had the problem. Proverbs 16 and 3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord. Lord, what should I do? The Lord says, you should do X. Lord, I commit X to you. It says, when you do that, that God will establish all of your plans. The problem is, is what many people are doing is we're telling God what the plan is, and we've never asked him. And we're saying, God, I want you to stamp this plan of approval. And God says, but that's not my plan. You said, but I want you to stamp my plan. And God says, I can't stamp your plan. And you said, well, I'm going to go do it. And you go out there and do it. And when it doesn't go right, you say, God, why didn't you help me? God said, you never asked me my plan. I could have gotten you what you desired, but you have to do it my way because I already know what's best for you. 
Isaiah 26 and 4, it says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord uh, himself is the rock eternal. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. This verse calls us to always trust in God, to always recognize him as a stable and everlasting foundation. Amen. God is able to be trusted. Exodus 14 and 4, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still. Now, when he says you only need to stand still, he doesn't mean you don't do nothing. It means all you got to do is whatever God's telling you to do. Let the Lord fight the battle. Be like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat went before the Lord and said, Lord, what should we do? He said, send the praise team. <laughs> he said, what? He said, yeah, I want you to send the praise team. Jehoshaphat said, wait a minute, to war? He said, yeah, I want you to send the praise team to war. Don't give them no sticks. Don't give them no battles. I want them to use what I gave them, which is their voices. Have Judah sing as they go. And the Bible says that as Judah went forth and began to sing the praises of God, that God himself began to confuse the camp of the enemy. The Bible says he confused them so much that they end up fighting one another. And that when Judah got there and the whole tribe of Israel got there, it took them three days to gather up all of the riches and all of the spoils. And they never had to fight a battle. Why? Because the Lord will fight for you when you put your dependence on him. Do you know that praise team, had, they had to believe in two people. They had to believe in Jehoshaphat and they had to believe in the God of Jehoshaphat. Because he, he I, now I ain't saying our praise team can't fight. That ain't what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying though, if it's 12 people outside with guns and I'm telling the praise team to go out there and sing, they better believe that I heard from God and they better believe in the God that they say I, I heard from. And that's what that looked like. And I mean, if they say they listen, God delivered them. They spent three days, three whole days packing up all the goods. I don't know about you, but that there's some fights I have no need to fight in. God says, stand down, Strick. I got this. Yes, sir. The Lord will fight for me. Somebody ought to put that in the comment section. The Lord fights for me. And then Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. One used to be one of my favorite scriptures. It's still one of my favorites. Like, I got so many favorites now. The Lord just be so good to me in his word. But Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, it says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Anybody got confidence in the Lord? Anybody got some real confidence? You got some of that tribe of Judah, some of that Jehoshaphat confidence in the Lord? It says, Empowered to prosper is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat or pressure comes or trouble comes. It, it doesn't trip about that. Why? Because its leaves are always green. In other words, the person who has that kind of confidence in God, they are always prospering. They prosper in every season. We used to say that all the time here at Fellowship of Champions. We prosper in every season. It's still true. We prosper in every season because our confidence is in God. We have a God-dependent life, not a self-reliant life. And as a result, we stretch out our roots by a stream that never runs dry. 
and we do not fear, we do not cower, we do not shrink, we do not sink at the idea of not having enough or having something go wrong. Our leaves, praise God, are always green. Hallelujah. Listen, this is a beautiful imagery and illustration of the vitality and the resilience of trusting God. We trust God. Our leaves, amen, are always green, even in the midst of pressure. Now, let's talk about this. What does it mean to understand pressure? You have to understand that pressure is a catalyst. Now, what is a catalyst? In, in layman's term, a catalyst is really uh, something that causes a reaction in something else without having its current state changed. Okay, so so pressure um, comes to do something to us, right? It comes to cause a reaction in us. Now, what pressure does is it wants to cause us to shrink or to sink or to cower back. But because you and I are rooted in all of these words we just read, it acts as a catalyst for us, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. See, pressure is not just an obstacle. It's not just something that's in our way. Pressure is a divine tool that God uses. He doesn't put it on us, but God uses it as a tool to grow us up, as a tool for maturation. It's a tool used by God to mature us in the things of God. Pressure comes and it comes to, to really rip us apart. But what it actually does in the hands of a believer is it actually makes us stronger. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. It talks about how these trials purify us, how they purify our faith, and they help us to rely on God. It says in all of this, you greatly rejoice. In all of these troubles that are happening, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, for a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. Look at your, if, if, I, if we was in church, I'd have you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we all been through something. You know, tell, you, tell your neighbor, we all been through something. We all, we all got a story. We all got some pains. We all got a couple scars. A lot of them self-inflicted. We, we all been through a little something. But the Bible says that in this, you can still greatly rejoice. That while you may have suffered grief of all kinds for a little while, it says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, he was talking to them about when Jesus Christ comes back, but this has dual meaning. When you understand that you are to be God-dependent rather than self-reliant, Jesus, that grace that we read about in Titus 2, 11 and 12, gets revealed in your life. It gets revealed in your life. And when Jesus gets revealed in your life, the little suffering, those little things you go through, you actually begin, the scripture says, to value those more than gold, pure gold. Gold that has been refined by fire. See, these verses written by the Apostle Paul address the experience 
of sufferings and trial among the people in the early church. He acknowledges that while believers do face various challenges and distresses, that these difficult experiences serve as a significant purpose. Trials and pressure serve a purpose. And the purpose is that they test and prove our genuineness. The genuineness of our faith in our Father and, and, and Holy Spirit to direct us, and that much like gold has to be tested, you and I have to be refined as well. How do you and I get refined? How do I know I can trust God? Because I have a time, I, well, I have to trust him. You never know that you can trust God unless you're put in a position to have to trust God. How do I know that if I ask Ralph to pick me up at 12 o'clock and Ralph says he's going to pick me up at 12 o'clock, how do I know I can trust him? Because the first time he told me he was going to be there at 12 o'clock, I had to just blindly believe him. I had to believe it. He said he's going to pick me up at 12. He's going to pick me up at 12. When he shows up at 12, I can believe it. Now, after the hundredth time that he told me he's going to be there at 12 and he picks me up at 12, am I even having to struggle to believe that he's going to pick me up at 12? Some of you just need to give God a chance to pick you up at 12. <laughs> Some of you just need to give God a shot. God says, I will deliver you. Just give him a chance to deliver you. I know the pressure is there. I know the enemy's trying to put more and more pressure on you, but it ain't 12 yet. <laughs> if he put pressure on you at 10, that ain't got nothing to do with 12. If you put pressure on you at 11, that ain't got nothing to do with 12. If the pressure is still there at 1130, it ain't got nothing to do with 12. God is an on-time God. If it's 1159, 45 seconds, it ain't got nothing to do with 12. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent for anything. If God has told it to you, it is true. Now, here's the problem. Most of us want to pick the time. Most of us want, God, I want you to pick me up at 12. <laughs> you got to be here at 12, God. God says, no, 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 no. The time is, I, I'm going to set the time. And I need you to know that when I set the time, that's the time I'm going to be there. You're going to have to trust me that 12 may sound good to you, but it's not the right time for me. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Listen, I'm telling you, when we become dependent on God, our life going to get so much easier. Why? See, what Peter does here is Peter suggests that faith, which endures through trials, is of greater value than even the most precious metals like gold, because eventually those metals are perishable. Peter talks about this thing called enduring faith. And it's like a, a lot of us don't have enduring faith. Enduring faith is the kind of faith that, that lasts through trials. The Bible talks about different kinds of seed. And it talks about the seed that is sown and it springs up really fast because it has no depth, it doesn't last. We don't want that kind of faith. We want enduring faith. Enduring faith is the kind of faith that allows you to praise God even in the midst of your trials. It's the kind of faith that lets you give glory to God, even when the doctor's report is not the best. It's the kind of in, the kind of faith that allows you to honor Jesus Christ, even when everything around you is screaming like Job's friends telling you you ought to curse God and die 
But you're saying, no, 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 I don't care what I'm going through. God has never failed me. God is faithful. God is faithful even when I'm not faithful. I'm not backing up off of this. I am willing to stand forever. And Gloria Copeland tells us that if we're willing to stand forever, we will not have to stand very long. I am standing in the place of enduring faith. I'm standing in the place of enduring faith. And, and you can do that when you begin to understand why pressure comes. Pressure comes to make us stronger. It comes to test the genuineness of your faith. And I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be a year. And I can't reveal too much right now, but 2024 is going to be the year where you're, the genuineness of your faith is going to be tested. You're going to have to, you, you're going to have opportunities to believe God for seed and bread. You, not, not your bank account, not what you got in savings, not your job. I'm talking about you're going to have to learn to depend on God for the seed that you sow and then depend on God for the bread he's going to give you to eat while your harvest is coming. 2024 is going to be a great year. 2023 has been great, but I'm telling you, God got some things in store for those of us who have matured through 2023. Now, what does it mean to mature? It means to totally depend on God. So what is the role of these trials? Trials are not about questioning our faith existence. That's not what a, that's not what a trial is about. Trials come to help us refine things. I told you again, I bowl on Thursday nights. Well, every week that I bowl, the goal should be that I get better and better, right? I should get better and better. There are times that I don't do as well as I thought I should have done and when that happens, I go and I talk to other people at the bowling alley and say, hey, come watch me throw this ball because I'm doing what I think I'm doing, but I'm not getting the results. And they can tell me what I did right or what I did wrong, whether I need to move over to the left or right to a board, whether the, the lane is particularly orally, whether I need to throw it this way or this way. What are they doing? It's a trial I'm going through in getting the right score, but what they're doing is refining my technique. That's what God wants to do for us. We go through trials, and in those trials, God wants to refine us. He wants to make us better. He doesn't want to destroy us. Trials refine our faith. They remove, they remove the impurities of self-dependence. Now, let's look at Romans 5, 2 through 4. Because the trial is designed to remove the impurities of self-dependence. Somebody say this. Say, I give up self-dependence. Somebody say, why you got your hands up? Because you know how you, when you surrender, I give up. I give up the need to be self-dependent. I give up the natural tendency I have to fall back into self-dependency when I should be falling into God-dependency. Let's look at Romans 5, 2 through 4. It says, through him, Jesus Christ, we have also obtained, watch this, access by faith into this grace. That's the same grace he's talking about in Titus 2, uh, 11 and 12. He says, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay. You and I are, when we are faced with trials and tribulations, the thing that we are to do is that we are to literally, literally, 
We ought to be giving God praise in the midst of those trials, not for the trial, but because of the hope that we have in the glory of God to refine us and bring us out of those trials better than we went in. That's why he says, can it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations? Why? Because when you fall into diverse temptation, it's going to make you stronger. And when you come out, you're going to come out stronger than you went in. So what are you giving God praise for the trial? No, I'm giving God praise for the glory I hope to receive as a result of going through the trial. What I'm going through is maturing me. I am maturing through pressure. It is teaching me the pathway to total dependence on God. Now, the Apostle Paul, he writes these verses to highlight several key aspects of the Christian experience that is necessary to remove self-dependence and to increase our God dependence. Paul starts by emphasizing that through faith in Jesus Christ, believers have access to God's grace. This grace is not just a one-time entry point. It's not this one-time thing that says, okay, now I get saved. Now I'm born again. That's all the grace. No, this grace is, is, is an entry point or a state of being in which we can continually stand. We can continually be delivered. We can continually to be saved. To be saved from what? Self-dependence. This same grace same grace, same grace that saved us from going to hell is the same grace that can save us from being self-dependent. Same grace, same grace. He then says that Christians are called to rejoice in the hope of experiencing God's glory. We experience God's glory when we depend on him. This hope is a confident expectation. That's why Jeremiah 17 says, empowered is the man whose hope is in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. Why? Because any time that you and I have this uh, confident expectation of what God has promised in our life, it causes us to have enduring faith. You see how all of this is connected? Paul then introduces a somewhat paradoxical concept. He says, rejoice in suffering. Now, I know most people go, wait, hold up, do what? Yes. He says, rejoice in suffering. Rejoice when you are going through. He explains that suffering is not a meaningless uh, task, but it has a transformative effect on our character. Trials helps me to develop my character. One of the things that Pastor Sean and I prayed early, 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 early on in our ministry was that God, please never take us any place that our character can't keep us. That was our prayer. And I believe that some of the things that we went through from that time to now was all about God working out some things in our character that had we not worked out and had we went above where we should have been through our own self-dependency, our character wouldn't have kept us. We would have ended up being a bad representation for the kingdom and putting a bad mark on our name and on ourselves. But God has worked out so many things in our lives that he has told us he has confidence to take us any place we want to go. There are some things you haven't received yet because God's not through working out some things in your life. And because you keep running from pressure, 
because you keep looking for the path of least resistance, because you keep looking for an opportunity to not have to deal with the thing God wants you to deal with. You don't mature through the pressure. You actually become more immature because of the pressure and you become more self-dependent and less God dependent. And that is the reason why you can only live by what you can produce. You can only live by what you can produce. Pastor, I can't make six figures. You're trying to produce it on your own. You're trying to produce it on your own. You won't let Abba do it for you. You won't let Father God do it for you. You won't let the King of Kings do it for you. You won't let the Lord of Lords do it for you. You say you're letting, you're saying, God, I want to be a six-figure earner, but you keep going back trying to do it on your own accord. Ask God how he wants to manifest a six-figure income in your life. And then listen to what he says. That scripture says, listen to God in everything and everywhere. Listen to God's voice. Why? Because he is the one who's going to keep you on track. He's going to be the bumpers in your life so you don't end up in the gutter. Hear me when I say this. In times of adversity, practicing patience, and we know that word patience means consistency, helps us to maintain an enduring amount of faith. And it leads us to victory. And that victory is obtained through God's strength, not our own. Did you hear me? We receive the victory because of God's strength, because of God's help, not because of our own. To be wholly dependent on God, we must welcome the pressures of life. Pastor, what do you mean? That seems so paradoxical. We welcome the pressure because we understand that pressure is just a catalyst. We understand the role of the trials and tribulations that come our way. It's not that we're going to trials and tribulations and trying to make them happen in our life, but we don't shrink when they come. We don't shrink from them. We run to God. God is our strength. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. God is an on-time God. And we understand that these experiences, they refine our faith and they teach us complete resiliency or reliance on God. As we learn from these trials, guided by God's grace, the Holy Spirit within us, teaching us, leading us, and guiding us on the way to go, we not only develop spiritual maturity, which is a total dependence on God, but also emotional intelligence, drawing us closer to God in full dependence. When you become dependent on God, you become less controlled by your emotions. Let me say that again. When you become dependent on God, you become less controlled by your emotions. You stop wigging out on people. You stop wigging out every time something doesn't look right. You stop pulling the covers over your head and retreating from life every time something didn't turn out the way you wanted. This spiritual maturity I'm talking about, when I say it's time to grow up, we're talking about not just in our behaviors, we're talking about in our dependency. When I depend on God and something doesn't come through, I don't fall apart. Pastor Sean and I live by a motto that I wish you guys would, would adopt. We say all the time, if God doesn't help me, 
we're going to fail anyway. Do you understand me? That's how dependent I am on God. If God doesn't help me in spite of all of my education, four degrees, in spite of that, I'm going to fail. In spite of my IQ and everything God has given me, if God doesn't help me, I am going to fail. See, some of you don't even want to say it because you're like, no, I ain't going to fail. I'm going to see a way through. No, you ain't. You've been saying that and how that work out for you. The fact of the matter is when you become so dependent on God that you honestly believe that if God doesn't help you, you're going to fail. It causes you to listen to his voice in everything you do. It causes you to listen to his voice everywhere you go. It causes you to say, God, I know that if you don't come alongside me and help me, even in the plan that you've given me, if I start being self-reliant on myself to do the plan you gave me, God, I am going to fail. And I don't know about you, but I don't like failure. And so because I don't like failure, I have learned to become more and more dependent on God. And I'm going to get more dependent on God. Because the Bible says we have to crucify this flesh every single day. So every single day I wake up, I'm going to have something try to rise up in me that has this tendency to tell me that I have the aptitude, the attitude, the monetary abilities to do whatever it is that I want to get done. But I'm going to always hit that pause button and say, God, I'm dependent on you. If you don't help me, I'm going to fail. I said earlier, John 16 and 33, we read that. It says, in this world, you would have trouble. Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Now, I, if you read that, it almost sounds like it's troubling. He says, in this world, Jesus here is talking to his disciples. He, he, he's teaching them and he's acknowledging to them the reality that in this world we live in, they are going to have troubles. They are going to have trials. There are going to be tribulations and that it is inevitable that they will experience them. This is what Jesus said. If Jesus said it, why do we think we're supposed to be able to get saved and never have any problems? He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He says this one wonderful word after that. But, <laughs> now you know that word, but it cancels out everything that came before it and it solidifies everything that comes after it. It says, but take heart. In other words, he says, get you some enduring faith. Stand on this word, get you some confidence. He says, I have already overcome the world. And, and here's what we know. If we're in him, and he's in us, if he's overcome the world, I've overcome the world. It, it, it's like if I, if I say, hey, Chris, let me take you out to eat. And she says, okay, let me grab your purse. I say, girl, put your purse down. I got money. What I have just told her is that if I got money, then what? You got money. And if I go and get something, then you're going to go get something. God says, listen, when it comes to trouble, put down your purse. I got you. I got you. you we, trouble going to come, but I've already overcome it. I've already paid the price. I already got receipts. When you show up with me, you good. All you need to do is show up with me. He says, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. That statement offers us a profound message of both hope and encouragement. By saying he's overcome the world, Jesus is referring to his impeding death and resurrection, which we know will triumph over sin and has and over death. It's going to cause us to be risen again with him in all the forces of evil. But he's also talking about the trouble that we encounter in this world. This victory provides assurance to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ that no matter the difficulties that we may face, there is a greater power of hope in him. My hope is in him. Somebody put that in the comment. My hope ain't in my faith. My hope ain't in me. My hope is in him and his word. God is not a man that he should lie. That is where my hope is. That is where my confidence is. That is the reason that I can be so bold and so boisterous about the things God has promised because I have nothing to do with them in terms of making them come to pass. My only job is to hope in him. It is to believe in him. It is to walk as he tells me to walk, to live as he tells me to live, to live a godly, meaning a God-dependent life, rather than trying to get my needs met through an ungodly, worldly system or a self-reliant kind of life. My hope is in him. And so this verse serves as both a realistic acknowledgement of the challenges that we will face, and it serves as a comforting promise of ultimate victory and peace, that word peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, in Christ Jesus. We have peace when we become matured through pressure. There's a peace. People will start to ask you, I, I, how are you making it through? How did you handle that that way? How did, how did you not lose your mind? How, 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 did you, how did you keep a smile on your face? Because my confidence was never in me. My confidence was always in God. I made the decision to live a God-dependent life. People start to say, well, you're the luckiest person I know. I'm not lucky. I'm God-dependent. I'm, I, I, I'm not lucky. I don't believe in luck. I, I believe in living a God-dependent life. And as a result of living a God-dependent life, there are things that God tells me. And when God tells me, I believe him. And when I believe him, I stand on it. And then it comes to pass in my life. And you look at it and go, oh, my God, if that was me, I'd have lost my mind. And I say to you, I would have too, except I depended on God. <laughs> except I depended on God. And so this idea of maturing through pressure is going to be a thing for us. It's going to be a thing for us over the next 12 to 14 months. It's going to be a thing maturing through pressure. We embrace pressure. God is greater than pressure. God is, God is bigger than pressure. Pressure comes to make me stronger. I don't punk out when pressure comes. I am not a faith punk. I have enduring faith. I, ha I have the kind of faith that when, when, when God said to the woman, I have not seen so great a faith. Or when he said to the, to the centurion, I have not seen so great a faith in all of Israel. God's going to say... I Fellowship of Champions, I've not seen such great faith among a group of people. 
Why? Because we're going to mature in the things of God. What does it mean to mature? To be mature spiritually? It means to be dependent on God. We are not going to be afraid to say we're dependent. We're not going to be afraid to be dependent. I was having a funny conversation with one of my kids one time. We were talking about them getting older and how when you get older, you have to start, you know, paying your own bills and your cell phone and your car insurance. And eventually, if you have to get a new car, you have to pay for your own car and your house and, and all that stuff. And one of my kids said to me, how long can I be a kid? <laughs> how long can I, can I be a kid to 30, 35, 40? How, how long do I really have to? To, when is the when is the point that I have to become an adult? And you know the thing is, is that as long as my children behave in a manner in which is respectful and dependent, they can get anything they want to from their father. That don't mean that at some point they don't they don't pay their own bills. I don't mean that. What I mean though is, is there's there's nothing they can need and not ask their father for. And, and and if their father, their heavenly father has it, if their if their earthly father has it. He'll give it to them. And if their earthly father doesn't have it, their earthly father has a heavenly father who has everything, who will get it and give it to them. But you got to keep yourself in a childlike position. You got to keep yourself in a childlike position. Amber says she want to know the answer too. The answer is to become dependent on God. And when you become dependent on God, you can live like a happy little seven-year-old all the days of your life. Ain't no seven-year-old worried about no mortgage. Ain't no seven-year-old worried about no car note. Ain't no seven-year-old worried about no insurance. Ain't no seven-year-old caring about no grocery bill and the cost of gas. A seven-year-old is just living. And every time they need nothing, they say mama or daddy. And all they know is it show up. You know what? This is the last thing I'm going to ask you to put in the comment section. You ought to say this. Say, I'm embracing the seven-year-old life. I am embracing the seven-year-old life. Folks will see that and be like, what are they talking about? Listen to the broadcast. <laughs> but we are embracing the seven-year-old life. What's the seven-year-old life? Being totally dependent on our daddy. We are totally dependent on our heavenly father. We are going to mature through the pressure, and we're going to walk this pathway to a life of total dependence on God. Amen. All right. Listen, I'm right at 90 minutes. That's it. Listen, as Pastor Sean would say, put in the comment section <laughs> what you learned today. What's your takeaway? As you're doing that, they'll put on the screen how you can give. We have multiple ways in which you can do that. You can give through Givelify. You can give through Tidally. You can give through PushPay. You can text to give. And if you're one of our international partners, you can actually give using PayPal. Now, those of you, if you choose to use PayPal, we have a couple people who do that. You just need to know that PayPal will not generate uh, for us and therefore for you an end of your giving statement. So if you want to end of your giving statement, we ask that you please, please, please use Givelify. Very easy. Use Tizely. Very easy. Use PushPay. Very easy. Or even just text to give. You can text to give by texting the word give, G-I-V-E, to 833-969-0897. Okay. Listen, I want to thank all of you who give on a weekly basis to support the ministry. I want to thank you for giving because you're a person who honors God with your tithe. We are 100% tithing ministry and 100% serving ministry. Amen? 100% tithing, 100% serving. We've got so many new greeters who have signed up. 
I've got several men who came to me after I made my plea about having the 10 men that I need to serve in a particular department. I've got three or four of them who said, Pastor, I'm, I'm happy to serve. I haven't forgot you guys. I'm going to reach out to you. Uh, we've got several people who said, Pastor, I will help with hospitality. I thank you. I'm, 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 I've written the uh, greeters manual. I've written the ushers manual. This week is my week to get the hospitality manual written. And then I'll be setting up times where I can go through a training virtually uh, for all the people who want to serve in those various departments. Listen, God's doing some great things. He's setting us up uh, to be a fully involved ministry. And the only way that you don't get involved is if you decide you don't want to be, which I don't know why in the world you wouldn't want to be. Because if God has been great to you, you should want to give back. And one of the ways you can give back is through serving and also through giving so that we have the means to do the things that God has called us to do. And it's going to help you to have a harvest because we know that God is not unfaithful to forget our labor of love. We know that God is not mocked that for whatsoever a man soweth, that will that man also reap. So yes, you can give multiple ways. Listen, let me just say real quick, you know everything we do during the week, right? Uh, on Mondays at 12 noon, we have strategies for success with Pastor Sean. Uh, I believe, even though she's going to still be on the East Coast, she's going to do that uh, uh, at 12 noon. It'll still be 12 noon Central, even though it'll be one o'clock her time. So uh, if you join her on Mondays, I don't think anything about that changes this week. If so, she'll put something out. I invite you to join me on Tuesday at 12 noon for Ed Talk. We are in week three of this series that we're doing called The Blueprint. Uh, lessons from impactful leaders. We've had Pastor Sean has been my guest one week. Uh, last week, we had Apostle Stephen uh, W. Banks on, and it was a great session. We talked about healing the father wound. And so if you didn't watch that episode of Ed Talk, I encourage you to do it. Uh, this week, uh, I'm going to have my buddy and my friend, uh, Apostle E.C. Malbia is going to be on. We're going to be talking about keys to success. Uh, just some things that people should know. So, um, you know, uh, especially if you are young in your career or you have switched careers and you're looking to um, really understand some of the, I won't say political, but some of the some of the corporate things that you need to understand in order to navigate uh, your way up the corporate ladder. Join me and Apostle E.C. Malbia. We're going to be together talking about uh, some keys to success uh, in some various areas. And, and he's been successful in a lot of areas. And I'm going to try to glean some of those areas out of him so that they can be shared with you. Then, of course, you know, on Wednesday at seven o'clock, we have uh, corporate prayer. Uh, I appreciate that the numbers are going up on corporate prayer, uh, but they're not where they should be. I appreciate that they're going up, but they're, I'm just going to be honest with you. They're not where they should be. When you look at the number of people we have that tune in for uh, everything else that we offer, uh, Wednesday night prayer is probably one of our lowest attended nights. I know you may be getting off work. I know you may have things you have to go to, but you can put those earbuds, one earbud in your ear, and you can turn that phone on and you can participate. Amen. I said on Wednesday night, make the lives a priority. I know that you can listen to them on the replay, but make the live a priority. Then at 7.15, our teens uh, join um, Zoom for Ignite at 7.15. If you have a teen and your teen is not involved in Ignite, get them involved. People say, well, my teen won't join. They live in your house. You pay the, you pay the bill. <laughs> it's your phone. I don't understand people talking about what their kids won't do. They're your kids. 
What do you mean? <laughs> they won't do. <laughs> if you can't get on Ignite, guess what else you can't get on? Instagram, uh, social media, that game. You have to be, we have to take parenting back. We have to stop letting kids run the house. Amen. And then, of course, at eight o'clock, we have refreshed Bible study. Uh, Pastor Ralph has been so gracious to give me a couple of nights to uh, kind of talk about these things that I've been talking about, this idea of not being God dependent. Uh, I mean, not being uh, not being self-reliant, but being God dependent. Uh, and I appreciate him for that. But you should you. I do appreciate the numbers on Refresh Bible Study. They could be better, but I do appreciate them. Uh, and so let's let's continue to do that. Uh, of course, we don't have anything on Thursday. And remember this Friday, this Friday, November the 24th, uh, we don't have Champion Circle. We normally do. But this Friday, we will not. So uh, hopefully you'll get up on Thursday uh, and, and watch the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's one of our traditions that we always do. Uh, and then we kind of just hang out. Don't overeat. Those, especially those of you who've been doing really good, don't cheat yourself. <laughs> I know people say, oh, I'm going to have me a cheat meal. Don't have a cheat meal. Just have a, a good meal that, that doesn't put you in deficit and, and throw you off track. Do the thing. Whatever God is. God knew Thanksgiving was coming. <laughs> I, I told somebody the other day, God knew Thanksgiving was coming. So whatever, whatever God has been having you to do, have that enduring faith and stick with it. If God told you don't eat you know, dairy. He didn't say except for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Don't look for the exclusion plan. Do what God told you to do. He knew it was going to be your birthday. He knew it was going to be the holidays. God knew. He knew. He knew. But be faithful in what God has called you. Amen. That's right. That's right, Ms. Ms. Brown Russell. Stay the course. Stay the course. All right. And then, of course, we, on, on Sunday mornings, we're back with Elder Valley and Pastor Chris uh, with Sunday morning worship. And then next uh, Sunday, Pastor and I'll be right back here. Same bat time, same bat station. All right. Hey, I love you guys. That's right. Keep it going. TLP is for me. That means in my money, in my food, in my relationships, in my career, every era of life. Amen. Listen, I love you guys. I appreciate you. And I will see you all on what is today i'll see you all on monday when we have strategies well i won't see you but i'll see your names <laughs> when we join pastor sean for strategies for success all right you guys have a great day love you bye-bye